don't know what we're talking about, Rick Rubin hosted a marathon two-part series podcast with Andrew Huberman and Dr. Jack Cruz. And Huberman was kind of – so let's, let's start, Ryan, with what we thought of it mm-hmm. at a high level. So I, I didn't really know what to expect. I remember they tw- Jack Cruz tweeted this out and posted on Instagram. I was like, oh, I wonder what this is going to be. I actually thought it was going to be some, like, private Patreon thing or some some shit like that. Right. And then it ended up being, like, Jack just telling his whole life story and basically trying to convince Huberman on why light, water, and magnetism matters and what he thinks in his paradigm uh, and how that's incorrect and the issue with centralized healthcare medicine research, which was really cool, actually, at a high level because, you know, we're decentralized radio. We talk a lot about the importance of decentralization, and we can dive into that a little bit. But I thought it was really great from that perspective. I thought Huberman was really open, like way more open. He was really taking it all in. And because he is interested in science a lot, and he's pretty open-minded, I was actually kind of surprised pleasantly. And I, I was defending Huberman actually to a few friends like before this podcast came out because I think he is open-minded and I do like how he presents information. And they were like, yeah, well, he's saying, you know, context and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but I think his head's in the right place. And that kind of reaffirmed what I thought and what I think about him. And I really, I'm excited for what's coming from him now that he got all this information from jack so i don't know what you thought on that front at a high level yeah i mean i just listened to it as i was driving up here to your beautiful home in the middle of yeah wyoming. we're live from thermopolis wyoming here yeah. on my deck and it's a good time <laughs> yeah i know it's right the weather's nice um it's sort of i like that it's it's not a huge town it reminds me of the town in middle of kansas i grew up in with like a few thousand people it's very quaint and i like that aspect of it i i, I mean i listened to the podcast on the way up here the first part of it i actually want to re-listen to the water section um probably end up like part of the drive as we're interviewing people up here um but i i like very similar thoughts i thought overall was well done i mean jack cruz does a really good job of making a story as long as possible um especially time traveler time traveler i i I loved it though because i I poke fun at it but i like at the end of the day like the information was i think relegated in a way that is is consumable especially through huberman who would sort of come back and maybe explain a point that jack cruz threw out there so that sort of that lay person in the audience could maybe understand a concept on on a more beginner level that's like the one thing i've noticed is like when this podcast came out i listened to it i sent it to a bunch of my friends because i was like hey maybe i suck at explaining some of these concepts of light water magnetism to you and they don't make any sense and it sounds even more mystical from my end, maybe this will kind of connect the dots. And I think it did for some, but maybe people that aren't in the space at all, I still think it might go over some people's heads. And so I do I do think Andrew was a pretty good mediator for that part of the space. Um, and I was actually surprised how open-minded he was, but I've always kind of looked at him as a non-combative person. Um, like if maybe Paul Saladino was there and it was like a different discussion circumstance, I could see him push back on things way more hard than I think Andrew would have ever done. Even if he disagreed, I feel like he would have been pretty calm about everything. Yeah. I don't think it was the intent to be a debate. And it no. really obviously wasn't. it was education because he and was there looking at Huberman as his past self. Yeah. And he's like, look, look, I, I need you to see what I could not see 30 years ago. I need you to see this because I'm pissed at myself. Yeah. And so that I really, I thought I appreciate it. I was, and I was thinking about myself too. Like, I was like, man, if I could get back to talking to myself when I was in my teens and I thought I knew all this stuff, which we all think we do in our teens, but I don't, I mean, I couldn't have broken through to him, but it, it got me thinking about that concept of like, what could I have I told myself on my healing journey three years ago when I started that I know now about this stuff? Yeah, totally. I mean, the way I think about it is like everyone's kind of on, on their own journey and their own path, but overall, yeah, it would, I'm just going to say, I listened to this probably, well, there's two parts. I probably listened to the first part like four times and maybe the second part three times. And 
I'm pretty familiar, at least in the past month, I've even become far more familiar with all of the science in these topics that were discussed. And I can tell you for sure, Jack Cruz, he is extremely intelligent. He's also slightly arrogant and just very direct. He tells you how he feels. I actually love that about and him. And I do too. <laughs> I mean, I'm from, I'm from New Jersey. Like, he's from New York. Like, that sort of style, that brash, direct style, like, personally, I align with very well. But the issue is that a lot of people don't. And then a lot of this information is way, is one, way over people's heads because they've never, you know, you heard Huberman didn't even know, like, what a semiconductor is, what a wideband semiconductor is. So it's like Jack presents all this information, and it's, like, so much information on things that nobody even understands like the first level of so then you're just lost in it and you're trying to piece it together and he kind of does that on purpose to some degree and if you listen to his podcast and from my understanding i don't subscribe to like his patreon and things but obviously a lot of our mutual friends do and i just hear it's like he kind of gives people like bits and bits of information and he's done that over like the past 10 to 15 years so then people have just been getting more and more because it is so complex. It's so technical at like the quantum biology, quantum physics level that you can't just give it to them all at once. So it's basically why we're doing this is to talk about some of these things. What are the high level you know, takeaways or things that we think are important to highlight from their podcast? Maybe shed some more light because, I mean – just jumping around from timelines of scientists and whoever you have your head like spinning and it was really cool the thing i do like about jack is he ties it also to the history like of the earth the anthropological perspective which is fascinating to me so it's clearly like he's done his homework the kt event like that stuff just kind of blew my mind because it's like you don't even think about this so it's cool because he's really transcending the different sciences and bring them all together which is important and that's like what science used to be like like the scientists back in the day like you know newton da vinci and all these guys like they were fundamentally renaissance men they were experts in all fields of science of the time and even the early 20th century scientists a lot of them that jack mentioned the same way um, you know, you had physicists studying water and you had guys just interested in everything. Now it's very siloed and that's like a side effect of the centralized medical system. So, yeah, that's kind of just what I thought about that piece. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I mean, it's about he talked about I believe it was like the marriage between physics, biology and then thermodynamics in the middle. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on any one of those things. Um, you're definitely more of an expert than me. So I'm glad you're here because I am like, I know Jack Cruz called me out on Twitter earlier today because my name ketosis Ryan or whatever, but I don't, I, I, I hate it because it's like, yeah, I should probably change my name and I probably will. But it's just like in my head, it's like, I've never, even when I was really into keto and like the idea of like, Oh, carnivore and all this stuff. I never really thought that that was like the full picture. And that's what Jack Cruz is really trying to get to people that are, in the space is like it's not like he hates talking about food and he and i'm even at the point where when people ask me about food i'm like listen it can get you this far and don't get me wrong i think it's important but it's hardly the painting it's like maybe not even the stencil on one of those fill-in paintings that your grandma likes doing so I, there's just so much more to health than what i thought a year ago even and so i appreciate him for that no, that's an important, that's like where we should start, right? So basically what Jack is saying is that food is not the end all. Food and exercise, diet and exercise are not the end all be all of health. And that's really what's painted to us by the majority of health influence out there. And, you know, you hear him call out the paleo guys like all the time. If you listen to any of his podcasts, he's just ripping on the paleo guys. And, you know, it's partially just his personality again, like that's just who he is. But it's, you know, Rob Wolf, Mark Sisson, they've done a fantastic job of educating people on food, what's wrong with the food system. And, you know, if you actually look into like what Mark Sisson's like tenants were like back in the day, they were get outside, move, eat real food, and, you know, exercise, you know, have relationships. So it's like 
sunlight outdoors was a thing, but they never really dove into exactly why. And that's how I felt too, because I knew circadian health was important. I've been wearing blue blockers for five years. I was always getting morning sunlight. I was wary of EMFs and maybe we can talk a little bit about EMFs and, but I never really took that deep dive. And I'm glad that, you know, I stumbled upon more of this Jack type work because the thing that Jack does really well. And in this podcast, you hear that is he gives you names of scientists and researchers that nobody's ever heard of, or they're very swept under the rug and they've done some really cool research, you know, guys like Robert O. Becker and the body electric and the people researching water. And, um, you know, just it's the list goes on and then you can go and verify their work. You know, Gilbert Ling is talking about guys who are so ahead of their time. And that's what I think about when I read like Robert O'Becker's work from the sixties and seventies talking about DC electric current semiconductors in the body. And I'm an electrical engineer. So this stuff was like, so fascinating to me and we're sitting here in 2023 and i'm like wow we have made zero progress on furthering this brilliant research i mean after i listened to the podcast my only thought was like man i wish edison got his way with the dc electric grid like i would have not to worry about so much of the stuff um someone actually was asking maybe we can go over this briefly in the in the chat they were asking like they don't even know what a semiconductor is still and so maybe you can just like the engineer can explain what a semiconductor is just yeah. briefly. Yeah. I mean, at a high level, right. There's like conductors, there's insulators, right? So you need, uh, you need the material to conduct an electric current, which is a flow of electrons between two materials. And a semiconductor is in that in-between stage. So in a certain state, uh, the semiconductor can conduct electric current. And what Jack talked about, the whole time without explaining it at all is wideband semiconductors. So what that band gap is, is that it's that difference in, in, in electron shells or electron states. So an electron needs to be excited to get to that next state. And then that's when you can start conducting electric current. So the wider, so an insulator has so wide of a band gap that it doesn't co conduct electric current. And a conductor has such a small band gap that it's very easy to conduct electric current and the semiconductors are kind of in the middle there so when you get to that wide band gap space it becomes more challenging but you can conduct electric current um, and it also depends on what's you know in semiconductors in general there's you know multiple elements that go into a semiconductor and that's called like doping um, in the space so the most common semiconductor used in electronics today is silicon and you mentioned jack i think he said you know has like an electron or a band gap of you know one 1 1.2 electron volts around three electron volts something like that and the industry is trending towards more wider band gaps because they need higher power um and by industry i mean electronics so i work in the semiconductor industry i work on the power side of things and a lot of the trend is towards like silicon carbide or gallium nitride on the power side because there's a wider band gap and the whole entire industry because of our growing need for electronics um, is higher power and on the quantum so there's like multiple sides of semiconductors right so in jack a lot of the stuff he references is on the quantum computing so there's this giant race for like quantum computers and people think that you know once we crack the code for quantum computing like the whole world is going to be you know it'll be transcended to a degree we can't even fathom and that's all about getting the right semiconductor so what he's always referencing is that you know carbon-based semiconductors such as melanin um, are the key to this and that's because they have a wide enough band gap to be able to have the optimal you know conductivity and power and you can get into this the physics of everything yeah. but what's really cool is that you don't even need to understand all this you just need to know that we have carbon-based semiconductors yeah. in our body um, and what's cool and we were talking about is Robert O. Becker mm -hmm. um, he proved that collagen or that bone was made up of collagen which is an n-type semiconductor which just means negative um, and appetite, which is a P-type semiconductor. So inherently, 
it's a diode because a PN junction is a diode. So that was in the 60s. That's what's insane about this is like not what I, what I really appreciated about. Well, I mean, most podcasts that Jack Cruz has been on, but this one in particular, because I think he had that, that right wide reach, um, was that he's citing things that have been studied. So it's not like we're doing it's not like him just saying these things. And a lot of it's like super old. So like we've known about some of these things for ever. Like Robert Rebecca's work is, like you said, in the 60s. Um, he was on like 60 Minutes in the 70s. Like all these things aren't necessarily new. Like there's some newish things, but like you said, we haven't made that much progress in like the last 30 years of medicine and all this stuff because of, I mean, probably so many factors. I mean, we're so, everything's so diverged now that everything's its own thing. Um, but what would you like to dive into first, Tristan? Yeah, I mean, I think we just, yeah, let's let's start talking about, you know, the semiconductor stuff, that stuff that it's really confusing it's really actually fundamentally hard to research because oh, yeah. like he's talking about like neuromelanin. It's like, we don't even know the you know molecular structure of neuromelanin. Like you can't even, and, and Jack, you know, had to really dive deep into understanding like the molecular structure in order to calculate. I think what gaps. I took away, so like just last thing, I think the, I, no, we leave some of that to like yeah. for a future discussion. So I, I will say this on like the highest level, and and I I'm not gonna pretend like I understand like all the ins and outs and stuff, but I was like, melanin is important. That's like what I took away. Like if I had to say like four words that were the biggest thing is like melanin is really important. Um, and that there's different like three different types of melanin, right? Three because there's neuromelanin. Yeah, there's neuromelanin, which is like the mystery yep. melanin. Yep. It's in you know your brain and then there's eumelanin and pheomelanin i think so eumelanin is like dark brown that's like your tan melanin and then pheomelanin is like the pinkish reddish so um yeah i mean you could start there right melt why is melanin important i mean i haven't taken as deep but to me it's like you know it's it's a natural protectant against artificial light especially and I've, i've been writing about like Light. So melanin protects you from UV exposure, but it can also protect you from blue light exposure. So really building that melanin level, I think, um, is important. And then, as Jack is saying, which I don't even know how strong the research is there, but from melanin, eumelanin produced, you can increase your levels of neuromelanin. And mm-hmm. then it's also a master, it's got. also a potent antioxidant, which will be a recurring theme in everything. So antioxidants, you probably heard that whole term a million times and mostly from like the food community. But what we want to talk about here is that your body produces much more potent antioxidants. And why fundamentally does that matter? Because everything comes down to the electrons and the flow of electrons and the electron transport chain in your mitochondria. So yeah, we could, we could dive into that maybe, or we could just start talking about light. Let's talk about light. I like talking about light. It's like one of my favorite things. Even if I get some of the things wrong, I think fundamentally I understand why it's important, but I definitely am not the best. I'm, I'm becoming, I'm trying to become partially the communicator yeah. as, as we are on the podcast. That's why it's important to have guests. So, like that. so what, Ryan? What is the fundamental like societal view of sunlight? Well, I mean, and I—it's so funny because I feel like talking to my brother. He's like the perfect, and I talk about him too much on the podcast because I, I feel like I call him out. It's not his fault, but he's like the perfect example because he's so afraid of the sun. He's so afraid of burning, even when we're out. Um, he'll either immediately have tons of sunscreen on or only go in the shade. We were at Versailles a couple years ago and he only walked around the edges where the shade was, where all the tall like brush was, would not go in the sun at all. Granted, we are of the fairer variety, Northern European, Norwegian heritage stuff. You look pretty tan right now though. Yes, but I used to burn almost instantly. Like I really, and I, this was sort of instilled on me from a guest we had on the podcast, Ryan Carter, um, this idea of solar callus and why it's important. Um, to be able to tolerate UV. I mean, so many people today, more than ever, I feel like are, are light sensitive. Like they go outside and they, they, have, they feel like they have to wear sunglasses. 
because um, their eyes just are so, are not used to it all. I mean, ninety percent of our day is spent indoors, like the average American, and so we get all these signals from light that have so much more to do uh, with with like biological process than just our circadian rhythm, which I think is like the big overarching one that I think pe most people can grasp and maybe say, oh, that makes sense because sleep-wake cycle. I mean, animals do it. And I think the best example I can, can say is like, just look at what animals do and like, we need to do that more. What do other mammals do outside as far as like sun avoidance and, and stuff like that? I'm probably like going down a couple tangents. Um, redirect me here. No, no, it's it's fine. I think it's like, yeah, people are so fearful of the sun now, or they just only translate it to vitamin D. It's like the only thing they can And they say the biggest thing I'll hear from people, like on my TikTok, when I talk about like building your solar callus, why it's important, why it's, this is the biggest thing I'll get back. It's like, oh, like, yeah, the sun is good, but you only need like six, seven minutes and you're good. But that's like, there's no way, like most people need way more sun than that. But I think we go about, that wrong as far as like we go from instantly living indoors all the time or working inside all day to like oh sun is good i need to be outside 10 hours a day and then they burn like crazy and then they think everything they've heard is just complete crap yeah it's like the i, I did a twitter live talking about this stuff today too so it kind of prepped me warm me up it's was, it was good talking to a lot of bitcoiners but yeah it's it's really intermittent sun exposure is is harmful because <laughs> jack cruz is like get to the point <laughs> It's, it's just not indicative of the natural environment that we were in. So in general, you know, why is sun is so good for us way beyond vitamin D? It's triggering so many like hormonal reactions. It's basically high level. It's the input signal to our entire biology. You know, it's going into your eyes. That's why you shouldn't block it with sunglasses. Why are your eyes sensitive? Because they're not conditioned to sunlight exposure. I have blue eyes. I go out. I never wear sunglasses. I'm in bright light all the time. I have no issue. I don't squint. You need a condition. It's progressive overload. It's the same thing as like building your gym. solar callus. It's the same thing. And that is the input signal to your body's bio biology inherently and all these downstream effects. And you can get into the spectrum of light. Blue light in the morning, stimulating cortisol production. That's what provides wakefulness. Red, near infrared, it's restorative. And that with the blue light is not causing harm. But blue light in isolation is artificial. It's what, you know, Ryan Carter always says it's alien. And that is essential because the sunlight's full spectrum of light is inherently water biology is designed to see and then you get you know at 10 degrees you start getting uva exposure a whole another slew of biological functions are triggered at 30 degrees above the horizon you get uvb which then you can start producing vitamin d which is the normie societal understanding of why the sun matters and yeah in 10 minutes you could produce x amount of vitamin d and of course vitamin d is important but it goes way beyond that so what happens when you have this un or suboptimal light environment is all these biological you know triggers are not occurring so your body doesn't know really what time of day it is and you don't have this wakefulness and tired you know feeling from melatonin production at night because you're stimulating blue light after sunset which would have never occurred you know pre 1875 or 1890 um, and it's just chaos and those are so essential and we could dive into melatonin because I think people really, it, yeah. really don't understand melatonin. It's way more, you know, than, than a sleep drug. Yeah. And Jack talked about this, I think on the podcast briefly, it's like, you know, less than 5% of melatonin is actually produced in the pineal gland. Yeah. Yeah. He did say that. It blew my mind. And I researched a lot about this like a couple months ago and wrote a Twitter thread on it. You can read it. And yeah, that's all like the health influencers talk about. And yeah, they talk about, you know, how fluoride will calcify your pineal gland and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, that's all true. It is what dictates sleep wake cycles. That type of melatonin is produced in the pineal gland. But the majority of your mel melatonin is produced elsewhere in the body. And it's actually like, it's like the composer he, of he your said mitochondria. It, it's produced in the mitochondria. Is that right? Yeah, it's melatonin is basically like the composer of your mitochondria. Yeah. It dictates so many functions like mitosis or, or mitophagy sorry which is like cleanup mm -hmm. in the mitochondria mitochondrial fusion and fission it dictates 
it's it's just like the most potent antioxidant as well like i think i read a study that said it scavenges like three to five x uh the free radicals of like vitamin c yeah you made a really good thread on that that was really good and it just goes to show that yeah like the more you have this artificial light environment the less melatonin you'll have the less efficient more damage to your mitochondria so you'll have less vitality you'll have less energy so it it really does matter and i and understand that importance of melatonin you'll start to value your light environment really heavily so i guess how do you do that and what do you do ryan what's your routine yeah and i'll hardly say that i'm perfect i mean it depends i i i I seem to move environments around but if i have complete control i mean i'll do what you do like you don't have the lights on at all during the day windows are open straight up i in the summer i don't turn any lights on ever like there's no need. And luckily my house has, you know, windows that I can open, but straight up like the, it's also Wyoming. So the sun rises at five forty-five and sets at like nine fifteen, And that's basically when I wake up and when I go to bed. So I don't turn on any lights. Like ever. I think one of the biggest <laughs> things I heard was when, yeah, not to mention Ryan Carter too many times, but like when he, we had a really good discussion about how like if you're wearing blue blockers, like that doesn't give you the right to be in an artificial light environment. Like you don't get a free pass. Like sure, it's you you have like a little bit of a shield going on, but like it, it doesn't do anything for the artificial light touching your like hitting your skin or or any of that yeah. stuff. So it's really like for me the things I prioritize because I do work from home is like I'll take every single one of my meetings that I have to do on my computer outside. Um, if I can't be outside in between those things, I'll go outside. And I tell my dad this who works. I mean, many people work in an office nine to five. I tell him like on your lunch break, go outside, eat outside. It's, yeah. it's little things that Open you a window. accumulate throughout the day. And you, you do this really well. I mean, you, you talk about taking advantage of your weekends and it's like being outside on your weekends as much as possible is going to pay dividends during the week. Like, no one's going to be perfect. Like, yeah, wear blue blockers, all that stuff inside, red light, and be cautious of, like, your bulbs and stuff like that. Like, you can have red light bulbs at night, and we could talk about all that stuff. Um, but those are all sort of still Band-Aids to, I think, the real solution, which is, like, being outside as much as possible when you're getting too much direct light because you're white like me and you will burn at some point. Go into the shade. Don't put on sunscreen. Yeah, put on put clothes. On clothes. Yeah, yeah. It's very... What I love about all of this is that it's actually really basic on a fundamental level, super simple strategies. And I think almost simplicity trips up people because everyone's used to getting like in the biohacker community, like a complex solution to a problem. Like you need this X device to block this X wave that's causing these problems. Well, well, let's talk about that a little bit because, you know, I was talking to a bunch of Bitcoiners earlier. And the reason why I also love Jack is because he is a Bitcoiner and it's, you know, People, this has all been swept under the rug because sun going outside the sun, like it's free, like it's literally free, and it can mag make magnitudes of difference in the state of your health, right? So you know, health influencers, biohackers, you know, any research that's going on, big pharma is making zero dollars. We're making zero dollars from telling people to go outside, Ryan, which is great because that's decentralizing their life and their health. And that's the most important fundamental thing. And look, if you don't have to take our word for it, you don't have to take Jack's word for it, Huberman's, whatever, just think logically. And the guy on the Twitter live earlier was saying, you know, just look at history, look at the track record. Obviously everyone was just outside. There was no artificial light. There was, you know, no one had sunscreen, no one had sunglasses, skin cancer prevalence, which is a combination of, many things of yeah. course it's not just sun exposure it's not you know artificial light it's everything in our toxic soup environment well i was just gonna say i think one of the biggest factors is like i've learned through my own and i'm still learning but like over my lessons over the last year like listening to people like jack or, or ryan or whoever that we've talked to even in the last month is that it's never as simple as a to b always like maybe sometimes it is but like with 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 disease it's like hardly ever like a created b it's usually like three things in your light environment cause disease. Cause like my brother is like another example who, I mean, maybe he's going to get screwed later in life because of the things he does to himself right now and his blue light environment, which what is was really he, bad. Like 24. 
Wait, what? How old is he? 24? 24, yeah. yeah. So he's got time. <laughs> I thought I, I had you're time. You're very resilient at 24. Yeah, yeah I wasn't. <laughs> but um, but, but I, I'm, I, I talked to him about this stuff, and he keep, he's one of the people that, that, that needs, like, a clinical trial or something that I have to show him. And it drives me nuts because, I, I mean, Jack put it really beautifully that his only clinical trial is nature. Like, like none of these clinical trials are done in nature. And so it's because nature is decentralized. Yeah. Like ultimately, I, and I said this earlier, it's like, who are you going to trust? Like, are you going to trust the big pharma institutions, the academia that is just fueling money to continue to prop up our fiat monetary system by putting more dollars on people's heads because that that inherently is what's going on and you know i know huberman was abstaining from discussing that and he, he thinks he's outside of the scope of that which whatever but funding it, is nice it doesn't take he was just saying how he doesn't understand how that all goes oh yeah he was talking about yeah with the medical system yeah and you know obviously he's being very pc about it but fundamentally you know that's what it's all about right And we talk about this whenever we talk about bitcoiners is the only thing propping up our monetary system is sustained, continued economic growth. So, you know, we have to keep posting these double digit gains year on year to combat the inflation that and they have done by devaluing our, our currency. And when you escape that and decentralize your health by implementing free or low cost tactics, which are the most effective. Mm-hmm. then inherently you're bringing that down. So why would they fund, you know, studies like this? And why would they promote compounds like methylene blue, which maybe we can talk about? Cause we people, should, because I'm still like, I, you, you, well, I'm, I'm ready to learn about methylene well, blue. Methylene blue is just like a great example. It, yep. it was the first synthetic drug ever used as a medicine. It was invented in the 1870s as a dye. And then Paul Ehrlich uh, was this they were testing all these dyes um to see if it was an antiparasitic for for malaria treatment and he found out you know it was very potent as an antiparasitic and he called it a magic bullet which is like where that term came from actually interesting yeah and that. then he had this fanatical search for like more magic bullets and he tested like all these compounds it's pretty cool but this is like late 19th century people and we're talking about a compound that has been used for 150 years and it's low cost, it's accessible, it's very safe in low dosage, mm-hmm. which is now all this new research is coming out um, for its efficacy on treating like TBI yep. and being neuroprotective. Um, but it fundamentally comes down to the same thing, right? It comes down to the electron transport chain and methylene blue um, acts as what uh, the, one of the main researchers on this, Dr. Gonzalez Lima, who we should definitely get on the podcast from UT Austin, he calls it an electron cycler because it basically can donate electrons and accept electrons. And if you know anything about what an anti-oxidant you know, oxidant does, is you know, it provides electrons to, to free radicals. And it's just the inefficiency of the electron transport chain mm. that inherently creates these free radicals and the need for reducing or oxidation of them. And methylene blue can work on, you know, directly on the different complexes in the, in the transport chain can work directly on providing electrons to complex four, uh, which I think maybe Jack mentioned, um, but inherently it's improving mitochondrial function. There's also some studies and research going on that it, it can block receptors that kind of get you in this cell danger response, which can lead to, you know, calcium influx into the cell, which is a whole issue, especially with like non-native EMF exposure that's kind of like a, a signal for um, this negative feedback loop of, of inflammation. But regardless, it's very efficacious. Mm-hmm. It's pretty low cost. Yeah. But now you can barely get it anywhere. It's becoming more popular again, but because you know no one's making money off, it's unpatentable. And Gonzalez Lima, if you listen to his podcast, He went to go promote this to like, you know, oncologists doing research for like St. Jude's, like all these places. And they were like, we won't, we can't, we can't use this because big pharma won't touch it with a 10 10 foot pole. Why? Because they can't patent it. And the the one company did, uh, I think they basically took like a downstream version of methylene blue 
and they are running clinical trials, but they're getting the dosing all wrong and it's like not working out. But COVID. Oh man. I found yeah. like three papers in like er- late 2020, early 2021 showing that methylene blue like blocks like SARS co- like the spike protein and can be beneficial. For I remember COVID. reading something did you, about it. Did you ever hear about that in I didn't 2021? Hear about it. I didn't I didn't dive I, into I, it. I don't remember. Oh, well, I do remember something like that popping up because at the time I was talking to Ryan a lot and we were both kind of yeah, going back and forth on that aware. and I had covid twice. And the second time I was like talking to him I was like, "Hey man, like you got like, what do I do? do but I it just like embodies everything that's wrong with, you know, oh, yeah. the, the system. And why is that a surprise? Well, actually, you know, you know, hydroxychloroquine, yep. you've heard of that. Yep, yep. Uh, well, hydroxychloroquine is, you know, a similar compound to chloroquine. Uh, not a surprise. Um, and chloroquine is derived from methylene blue. So they're all like derived from methylene blue. Like it's like the OG antiparasitic drug that. that nobody's ever heard of except, you know, biohackers because they somehow discovered that fish tank cleaner is good for your mitochondria. But even then, and I took methylene blue like four years ago, but never took, dove down the rabbit hole. And it's, it, I, I like it as an example. And I'm not saying don't go and take methylene blue every day. Like do your own research. I'm actually going to post a thread about it tomorrow. So I'll, you know, check out my Twitter, but you know, do your own research. It's very efficacious, a low dose, but it just embodies everything that's wrong with like centralized medicine. Yeah. It's like, we have this compound it's on the WHO list of essential medicine because yep. it's, you know, it's the only solution for cyanide poisoning and carbon monoxide poisoning. Why? Because that disrupts like cellular respiration in the mitochondria. And that's how beneficial it is for mitochondria. It's wild. And it's in the ER rooms. It is. Yeah, it is. Why the fuck I has actually, no one ever heard of it? I actually did speak to an ER doctor. Um, I went one time because I had strep and I was like going, this is like 2021. So like before I knew any of this stuff, but I was kind of getting in some, into some of the space and I went into the ER, terrible mistake, by the way, never go into the ER just for like a strep diagnosis or anything. Just don't because you'll get charged crazy amounts of money a year later and you'll have forgotten why you were there. But I asked him about methylene blue and if they had it there and they did. And at the time I didn't really know anything about it to be honest with you other than the name and i knew some biohacker friends that were like into the thing but they do have it um i didn't know what they used it for but i i thought the conversation that jack had with with rick about his heart stuff and asking his doctor to have an iv methylene blue during surgery was like a really interesting interesting thought yeah i mean i, I thought it was cool um I even I think on one of the podcasts I heard it's like ER docs say it's like when you don't know what to do like give a methylene blue so it's kind of funny but it needs to be a catchphrase or a shirt or well something. there's one and the navy there's another one the navy used it for anti like malarial purposes in World War II I think maybe or Korean War I don't remember one of those and uh, they all hated it because it turned their you know their pee blue and it was like Eisenhower someone said that the navy's so loyal they pee blue and like, that's great. So it's like this I, whole history. It's like so fascinating. And guess who's never heard of it? Like everybody. Everybody. But yeah, yeah research that one. Um, I think it's it's cool. I think um, the one thing I just want to say one thing before we jump onto another topic though is yeah. like a really good introductory book to light in general is just called it's just a book called The Healing Power of the Sun. You can like is find that by out, Moritz. It, no, it's by uh, Richard Hobday. Okay, can't pronounce the last name very well. Um, but it's like on Amazon, I read it. It's like, it's a very introductory book to sunlight and like things they used it for pre the discovery of like penicillin and all this stuff and how they go back to like ancient Roman times when they would build hospital settings open to the light to let the light in because they knew maybe if they didn't understand the mechanism or any of that, but they knew that there was something about the sun that made people yeah. better. But dude, they did that like forever hundred years ago like heliotherapy no that's what i mean that's what i'm talking about up until 100 years yeah yeah like and then everything changed they completely changed the way they structure buildings and hospitals and how they build them um and it's just it's really a travesty and it's unfortunate and uh it was a great introductory book i gave it to my mom and she was just like that's cool blown away so it's a good book for anyone that's just like getting into it yeah and and i think in general um that going back to the podcast is like you know, they, they talk a lot, you know, Jack talked a lot about, you know, optimal light environments and, and especially something. We I just loved how he trashed LA because I have to yeah, go there every month. Yeah. And, and that's, like, that's exactly what I was about to say is like where to live and, and, you know, EMF exposure and light quantum yield is what he calls it. And I talked about that a little bit, the Twitter live today, 
everyone was like, you know, my one buddy, Steven, he's in Florida and a couple mm-hmm. other guys were like, yeah, I moved from New York to Florida and it's like so much better and all these things. And I think that, so we talk about this stuff being free and it's like the biggest cost, but probably maybe the biggest benefit is if you do move, but I, I, I want to set the scene a little bit. So Jack talks shit about diet gurus about all these people because it's not the whole picture right which is true but he's also getting people that are like really really sick so by the time they get to him they're very very sick so it's not saying that you can't make substantial progress in your health by going from eating mcdonald's to you know grass-fed meat and whole foods that's true but that's like, you know, level one. And, you know, if you go from being a couch potato to moving more, like that's a benefit still. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think the important part to that story is I want, like, I lo- like we were talking about how open-minded Andrew Huberman was on the podcast. I wish everyone could be that open-minded, even if they got better doing just diet. I feel like it's a disservice to, because I, I know so many people that are probably the people that should be seeing Jack or that are that sick. They've tried everything diet-wise, like everything, and they can't get past that that isn't it. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know how long it takes people for long them time. to realize Sometimes that like, never. there is other things you can do outside of diet and exercise, and especially when you're really sick. But people are just looking for that easy fix. And for some reason, it's been ingrained in their mind that that's, you know, diet. And whether it's counting calories or just going pure carnivore and only eating meat, it's simple and people can understand it. Being in an optimal light environment, theoretically, it's simple, right? But it's extremely challenging given our modern lifestyles. Like you said, if you do work in an office, like if you have a family, like you can't just, if you work the night, well, if you work the night shift, you should just quit your job immediately. I'm sorry. Um, there you're, that's so fucked. Like it's so bad and you can't just do everything. You can't just pick up all your stuff and move to Florida. Maybe if you have the means, um, and, and, and getting back to that, you know, moving to Florida, that moving to El Salvador where, where Jack now lives closer to the equator. Yes. You get more sunlight year round. It's more consistent. You get higher UV exposure. It is more optimal. If you are extremely sick, this is probably something you should actually consider. If you're 27, like us, like me, it's not necessary. And you can actually embrace seasonality and I think it's context, completely context dependent. So he talks about LA, LA, you know, that one's just a no, no is actually very, you know, has decent latitude, decent sun exposure, but the quantity of EMFs. And if you read, we got two books here. One, I just finished, well, I actually just finished both of these, but I've been reading them through them. The Invisible Rainbow by Furstenberg and The Body Electric by Robert O'Becker. So Robert O'Becker starts by talking about, you know, semiconductors and bones and regeneration through DC electric current, injury of current. But then he goes like the last chapter, which is like almost 100 pages, is all about EMFs. And his second book is all about EMFs. And Andrew Marino, who he did research with, is all about EMFs. And it's like my conclusion is there are some very, you know, high density EMF areas, but pretty much we are all exposed to emf like there's no avoiding them completely so how do you combat that is you just have to become more resilient and if you're really sick you know there are some things you can do and we're going to talk to um jet who works with dr emf um healing emf electro hypersensitive people tomorrow actually so that'll be a great podcast but really you know, it's easy to just move to a higher quantum yield, higher sunlight environment to heal then because everything is working against you and you're not resilient. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I kind of go it's the easy way out, but some people need that. Yeah. Some people definitely do need that. I mean, I, I mean, I've been told to move to Mexico like at least 10 times in the last year, but I don't know. There's, there's something too about like, like you mentioned, like if you're a pretty healthy individual and 
th- I mean, there is benefit to living according to your like haplotype and stuff and like e- experiencing seasonality. Yeah, living your haplotypes even, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, that's even very confusing because it's, you know, it could be completely Well, I guess it's like how far back do you want to go? Yeah. Well, it is, that is far that is the lineage so but it could be more different than you think but i i don't know i haven't tested mine i'm just but, i'm just done deciding like i know what's right and i'm just i'm not the but here's the thing if you're i'm gonna say if you're fair-skinned you actually probably have more flexibility if you are melt a skin fitzpatrick skin type like three four five like you need to be south you need to be closer to the equator if you are a skin Fitzpatrick skin type four or five and you're living in like Canada, like you are not going to be good. It's like straight up. There's no way you're getting enough UV exposure as you know, where your heritage is from, which is like, so I guess like the question is like, you got to make some hard decisions then. Cause if you're living in completely the opposite, I mean, he did a really good example. Like we spoke to, uh, Max, uh, Max Golhane. Golhane. Yeah. Who Jack or was inter- interviewed Jack three or four times, and they had really good discussions. And he kept bringing up how all these, all these like basically British people are screwed in Australia. Um, and so it, it brings up that discussion of like where you live in like the opposite environment. But at the same time, they're screwed not necessarily because they live in Australia, but because they're inside all the time, slathering sunscreen and exactly. not, not getting the UV they actually need. Yeah, and just being at northern latitudes here, and it's not even that north. Like straight up, we are like equivalent right now with Spain and Italy. Mm-hmm. Like, and we get more sun, you know, than all of Central Europe and Northern Europe. Like people, I think, have a misunderstanding of how you know high in latitude the Europe European continent is, and com- in comparison to the United States. And I, I guess too, it's also you. Which gotta, is where I'm saying that because that's where most of us are from. Yeah, but it's, but it's also like in the modern environment, regardless of those things, you're most likely like 99% of everybody, regardless, needs more sun. Yeah. Anyways, regardless of where they're at, just because of current living conditions and work conditions. So that that's why I kind of don't like. I try not to let my mind wander too much on the the haplotype stuff i'm like oh should i be here or there well jack's thing is basically that you know there's this toxic soup of external stressors and the best way to combat that is by getting you know more sun exposure getting skin in the game building melanin levels you know you're you're getting more from an energy perspective and that's not saying that you can't thrive at higher latitudes but then you really have to embrace seasonality and that's where we can dive into cold. So Huberman is like a big cold guy, right? And cold is fantastic and cold, you know, releases norepinephrine and all these beta endorphins and, you know, cold shock proteins and it's all this good stuff, mental resilience. But what Jack brings up from the semiconductor perspective is that carbon-based semiconductors and a lot of the, you know, the, the, semiconductors in general operate better you know at colder temperatures so you're kind of just it's all like the conservation of energy right you know that's where the thermodynamics like comes into play and basically biology has to get more creative at higher latitudes because there is less sun so that appears in things like ketosis in things like deuterium depleted water in things like cold because inherently your mitochondria will then be more efficient um, with less energy input from the sun so it's kind of like just hacking your biology but here's the thing if you quote unquote eat a banana in boston on december or whatever he said you know it just doesn't make any sense and that's where i align completely from a seasonality perspective because you do have to align with the local environment that you're in and we talk about that a lot on this show because it does matter from a biological perspective like we're not just saying it's stupid from a supply chain perspective which it is but like support your local producers but if you're in wyoming in the winter like right here there is nothing growing. There's nothing growing. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think about that a lot because I would have conversations with, because, I mean, we talk a lot on the podcast and just on socials in general about eating locally and stuff like that. But 
even where I'm at in Utah, which is like just a little bit south of here, like there's still stuff that's like not really coming in yet as far as like plant matter. So it's no, kind of I like, mean, nothing right now. It's like, you know, some, well, what I buy at the farmer's market last week, like green onions and like winter greens. Yeah. There's yeah. no fruit. Yeah. So, I mean, and, you, and, and we had this stuff. experience at the farmer's market too, where it's like, if you go to the farmer's market and you'd expect everything there to be like, what's just been growing and you see apples in February, you got to make the assumption, depending on where you're at, that those are probably not from right now. And so you got to make that decision. And why, why is that important? Well, because it sends that mismatch between you and your environment around you and a very high level. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's all an input signal, right? Yeah. So I think the way, you know, it's understood is that basically your food, the photonic energy from like your food is telling your body, you know, where you are and then what season it is. And if you are in a very cyclical environment like here, then that is going to dictate, you know, functions in your body. Basically that simple. If you're at the equator and you have tropical fruit all year round, then it, you know, it doesn't matter because that cyclical nature is not really happening to the degree, but your body needs to know whether it needs to switch from like, you know, being, you know, when you go from burning glucose predominantly to needing to shift to a more ketogenic state, like that is mitochondria adapting like you actually have metabolic adaptations to be able to more efficiently utilize fat and ketones as fuel you know that's not like some easy thing to just do yeah and i think that's where people make the common mistake of thinking that like their food input is the only thing that matters to like say their insulin level after eating that food um i mean everything's kind of context dependent on the individual but I mean, they did, I don't know if it was this podcast, it might have been a different one, but they did a good job of explaining how you can basically drive insulin resistance, like regardless of food, like you could eat nothing and you could spike it with just light. Yeah. Right they the said, I think you talked about how blue light, you know, spikes blood glucose. Yeah. And, and like, to me, that's like the biggest thing is it really got me thinking about like, man, everything I like when I got sick in 2019, like I was on devices constantly the whole time never outside ever if i was outside i was like either super clothed or like slathered up in screen and so man my laptop's beeping but um is that from the chat no 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 it's just oh. the it's just the power cord going into the side here is kind of like, oh, okay. like i don't think that many people are watching this live no <laughs> well they are on jack cruz's facebook page shout out to jack cruz's facebook page oh nice thank you um can't wait to watch the bash later <laughs> No, I mean, I think we're fundamentally aligned, right? And that, that's why, like, you know, we talked about this with Max, right? It's like oh, yeah. we're trying to take the role as, you know, furthering this message, but it does need some translation and it needs some, you know, high-level understanding for people to really grasp the importance of it. But I just think about it from a decentralization perspective, and it's like Bitcoiners are so ripe for the take, and I know Jack's been going after these types of people, and Stephen and I, did that live today and it was very well received because people want to be empowered but you got to empower them through education and if you have free health hacks like or low cost like they should be on board they just have to unlearn or unthink unlearn relearn basically yeah. what the thought and to me it's just like logic right it's like we add all these artificial inputs to our life and we subtract all the natural inputs of course that produces chaos and how do we build that back up is, you know, we have to slowly make changes to get to progress. And, you know, at a high level, I think, you know, Huberman was very receptive to that. And I think that was a good thing. And I hope that he starts, he published a couple of studies. Was it, I think he said something like children that, you know, go outside for two hours. Yeah, actually, day. that was a really interesting discussion just briefly on like myopia and, and, and blue screens and blue light and stuff like that and like increased basically children that went out for two hours a day had a lower risk of myopia which is nearsightedness which would have been great to know when i was a child but um but i think we were like on the cusp of it we were on the like, in-between time we were like it was okay not great but not bad i didn't get a smartphone until maybe i was 16 or 7 or maybe that was an ipod touch I think I didn't get a smartphone until I was 18 or 17, but man, we play, I mean, Video when I was, games. yeah, like yeah. Call of Duty was like, yeah, 2009 was the, was the vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was outside like 
non True. I feel like we were one of the last generations that were like outside all the time because mm-hmm. I was outside all the time doing stuff. And like, I mean, I grew up in a small town, so there wasn't like. It was just sports outside. Yeah. yeah. We're one of those generations that's kind of the. the so but I'm, I see I'm like my. for that. But I see like my niece who's like, I mean, Jack Cruz made a really good point at the end of the very first episode that was like, if there was one thing that I could instill onto everybody, especially parents, is like, don't babysit with iPads, basically, mm-hmm. your children because of like neurodevelopment and how when your brain is fully developed, like you have these protections that are not in place when your brain is still developing. Like talked a lot about myelination in the brain and, and stuff like that and how it's not complete. Yeah. And I think about that a lot now. And the I truth just, is like, yeah. I feel like there are so many simple solutions that, I mean, that's the best part is that I feel like they're on a high level, pretty simple solutions, but sometimes they're hard to implement because of the way everyone lives now. It's like, you kind of have to uproot so many things and, and your ideology about it just, it just gets me fired up about the system, man. I mean, it's like, everything you are, learn is backwards. Schools are prisons. Hospitals are prisons airports or prisons like there's not even windows in like these places and it's it's actually crazy and yeah i mean when did that all start i mean it started with you know rockefeller right Mm -hmm. and then it kind of just kept going and kept going and then the screens and the technology was like all the you know free time that kids had they would spend outside now that's been the last bit of it has been just taken away. I think the real thing that really blew my mind away was like after reading through stuff from like Robert O'Becker or any of these books that reference studies from like the 20s or 30s or oh, even yeah. like we knew about this stuff. Like we knew it. And yet it was never brought to a large public forefront. And so that that kind of frustrates me. But that's just business, guys. Just good business. And good business isn't always best for health. And that's exactly, well, reading, and I opened the body electric because I was really, yeah, like this has been going on for a long time. So I'm just going to read a quote from Robert O'Becker, 1985. The present system is in effect a dogmatic religion with a self-perpetuating priesthood dedicated only to preserving the current orthodoxies. 1985. He's talking about academia research medical system like medical research 1985 40 almost 40 years ago it's only gotten worse and he got a lot of shit he basically put his whole he was a really great scientist and he threw out his whole reputation to do the right thing and fight this and you could look up Project Seafarer, Project Sanguine, whatever the hell. They changed the name like five <laughs> times. Yeah. He was on 60 Minutes, yeah. like debating the Navy for this like antenna and electropollution. And that's something I'm diving deep into right now. And it really excites me. But it also really, it's really sad. And if you read these two books, Invisible Rainbow, Body Electric, and add on, you know, going somewhere, Andrew Marino. It is Andrew Marino, I think, right? Um, I think you're right. It's actually like really sad, really shocking. And then you just kind of read it and you're like, you want to move to like the most isolated place in the world, but then it doesn't even matter because like there's some random communications tower like within five, ten. Yeah, we were kilometers. talking about that about hiking and, and just running into them yeah, all over. And and that's what they talk about because there there's all these examples of, you know, trees and bees and birds that just get like decimated or they have like, you know, birth defects and all these things from all the communications towers they put up and, you know, body electric, it was a lot in kind of the mid twentieth century and then uh, all the newer stuff with like three G, five G or sorry, three G, four G leading into five G. Um, I think there's a big amount at the end of the 90s, which uh, Furstenberg talks about. And, yeah, I mean, a lot of these were, like, all, also old, like, military communication. So the whole Project Sanguine Seafarer thing was, like, so they could communicate to submarines underwater with ultra or, I should say, extremely low frequency. And you get into this whole spectrum. And it's really sad as an engineer because I'll say this. It's, like the suppression of this research 
is sad because now we're so we're so far gone. Like you said in the beginning, you wish you know Edison had his way with the DC electric grid. And and Edison and gets like, a lot of trash because he stole some stuff from Tesla or something. And I was Edison in the wax museum, and I don't appreciate that Edison slander. <laughs> Incandescent bulbs, great. Well, he also invented electricity too, so I guess we wouldn't all have any of this if he, he wasn't alive depends who you talk but tesla about actually went he went like nuts by the right. end just from like electro you know exposure at super high levels but anyway you think about this and you think of the you know the different frequency ranges which is what i've been trying to like map out and how that affects our biology and you look at all these studies and you know, there's just no way, there's no way we're just going to change our power grid. I mean, God forbid, our power grid's a mess, regardless from an infrastructure perspective. There's no way it's ever going to change the DC. You could go off grid and have a DC power system with solar or whatever, but then all the electronics you put in there, they're not, they might be DC, but they're operating at, you know, 10 different frequencies. And it, well, it, it's just like, there's no really great solution. You could set up, you know, cages or faraday cages but well this and this will go into the discussion with the podcast we're gonna be doing tomorrow because it's like there's so much bull online of like things you can buy to remediate these things and so that's a discussion yeah straight up like i would say 99 percent of those are or 95 percent of those are probably bullshit out of sight um, out of mind it's it's so hard right because i mean today and this is what i do like i had a customer meeting and we're talking about like the you know specs of our of, my, of a microcontroller which is kind of like the brains of uh, an integrated circuit like a semiconductor and you know the microcontroller operates at 40 megahertz but then it has a pulse a pwm pulse at you know 20 to 30 kilohertz and then it has a power supply switching power supply you know that's in the hundreds of kilohertz range and then if you have ac power that's turning it on that's at 60 hertz so you're getting you know, frequencies at varying power levels at or at different frequencies. So you have all these biological effects. And what Becker talks about a lot is the effects of the low frequency range yep. under 300 hertz, because that's where, you know, a lot of our bio, biological functions occur. Um, the Schumann's resonance, which is kind of like Earth's magnetic or electromagnetic field, has a frequency uh, first harmonic. I think it's like seven hertz. You know, Jack talked about on the podcast, alpha brain waves or what? They're like seven to 10 hertz. And then delta brain waves are, or beta. The next one's like 30 and then 100 hertz. So, kind of under 300 hertz, there's a lot of biological functions going on. I think I heard him say at one point, I don't know if it was on this podcast or another, that mitochondria kind of optimal frequency as what at 100 hertz as well, which is quite fascinating. Yeah, I can't remember. I remember us discussing that. But either way, that's important. And that's all being, you know, disrupted and it's, but then you get all the RF frequencies, which are far higher and you get into, you know, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth signals are like 2.4 gigahertz. And it's like, what is, you know, if I had a clean slate, like, what would I sit down all these semiconductor companies and tell them what to do? And honestly have no idea. Like I would say, you know, but that's why this suppression of research and information is so dangerous because nobody's actually thinking about this stuff. And so nobody can actually solve the problem of how do we make technology more biologically friendly? And yeah. um, I don't get that solution. <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm really curious on. So uh, I think at a high level, it's a great podcast. I think it was informative. I think, yeah, if you read some of this stuff, uh and then go and re-listen i think re-listening to podcasts very underrated um, i've me. done it like three times i started doing that uh recently and you pick up a, a minute detail and for me i have i'm an electrical engineer i was very into health stuff but very into nutrition and the food system side of things i wrote a whole book on regenerative ag and bitcoin mm -hmm. and food but the biology for me it, it has been the hardest part to grasp so i have to listen to these podcasts a few times like doug wallace but i will say i will leave this as kind of my final point i think jack does a great job of giving you lists of people to go and research doug wallace robert obecker you know if you want to dive into quantum mechanics good luck you can you know research Feynman 
Or, you know, some of these guys that are really, you know, pioneering. Del Duce, I think, is a water guy. I mean, Victor Schauberger is another water guy, like early 20th century. Really cool stuff. And, and then what I've been doing is you go read these people's work, and then you go back to Jack, and you're like, oh, wow, what he says actually makes sense more now. You kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Instead of, I think a lot of people go immediately to his work, and he'll give you some stuff, but it's like, it's almost good to get a, a very well-rounded perspective and then go back and, and try and make those connections yourself because that's what this is all about, right? And it's decentralized thinking. Yeah, I mean, I feel like he's kind of trying to spoon-feed a chimp and I'm the chimp and I'm trying to like just learn sign language or something. So, and I like my background is just like me being sick and having to figure out how to get better. So, so I'm, I'm enjoying this journey along with you. No, it, yeah, and it is a journey, and it's like you can't set the expectation you're going to try and understand all this. And like, I think really months. the biggest thing anyone can do is just have the open mind yes. to being wrong, one, and two, just being okay with knowing you don't know anything and starting there. Well, that's what's cool about coming from the fields that we're in is like, I don't know, like I don't have any preconceived notions of like what – like the medical system like i got wronged we both got wronged by the medical system so we're both like yeah like alternative perspectives like give them to me and that is what jack brings to the table and you don't need to be a dogmatic follower he doesn't want you to be a dogmatic follower no one needs another you know keto versus paleo versus vegan versus carnivore also why you know the diet space is is kind of just annoying at this rate and everyone i know that's really into health at this point, they don't have a label on their diet. It's just nutrient density. And for me, it's seasonality and locality. But open your mind. Understand that decentralization takes these things into account. And fundamentally, you can become a lot healthier if you start to think about your light environment. And it doesn't cost anything or very little unless you need to move to florida (laughs) unless you need to move to florida which you don't have to do uh you don't have to do anything because it's your life well i couldn't have said it better well thanks everyone for joining us jack cruz thanks for uh doing whatever you were doing on facebook i'm sure it was entertaining to say the least that i will give you i hope we were entertaining i hope you got a laugh maybe two we'll Um, have to do a real we'll have a a real Jack podcast. We will wonder. Maybe we'll come down to El Salvador. There's a lot of Bitcoiners there. Everyone keeps asking me if I'm going down to El Salvador for like the next halving. So I don't know. You want to you go to El Salvador, Ryan? I'm not going to say no. It sounds exciting. Jack, we might come see you just randomly. Just be aware. Be aware. <laughs>